Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is 10 News First Person. I'm Narelda Jacobs. COVID-19 has had a big effect on us all. But what is it like being in a position of authority during the crisis? How do our leaders go about trying to handle being responsible for so many people in a time of such upheaval? Our 10 News First team have spoken to our state premiers to find out how they and their governments have been dealing with the ongoing crisis. In this episode, Bo Pearson checks in with West Australian Premier Mark McGowan. Premier Mark McGowan, thanks for your time. Thanks, Bo. Uh, fair to say it's been a hell of a year. We've only just ticked over the, the halfway point. Uh, how have you been coping? I've been fine. And uh, lots of people have done it a lot tougher than me. Obviously, I've had a, had a bit of stress and a bit of pressure, but um, lots of people have uh, suffered a lot more. You know, people who lost loved ones, uh, people who have been unwell, people who have lost their jobs or those people who have lost or closed their businesses, uh, they're the ones who've done it tough. Can I take you back to earlier on this year? It probably seems like a long time ago, but when did coronavirus first pop up on your radar? Well, obviously, I heard about it in January when it was sort of in China and they were talking about Wuhan. Uh, the COAG meeting in March was a pretty big deal. And it was around then or maybe slightly before uh, where the, um, the China flights issue arose and we had to sort of stop flights from China or the federal government stopped flights from China. I called in a lot of the tourism and mining and other industries and said, this is going to be a big deal. Um, we need to think about how we're going to manage this because China is our major trading partner. Uh, and uh, so we sort of started a consultative process with industry at that point in time. Uh, and then obviously if, uh, after the Co COAG meeting in Parramatta in mid-March, then it really ramped and the National Cabinet was formed. But it was around that period. It's one of those things where it's difficult now to place in your mind what happened when. Uh, but it was around that period of mid, or early to mid-March. And when you first heard, did you just have alarm bells going off? Well, I had more alarm bells around the loss of uh, economic activity. It was about, you know, tourists and the like. And then obviously post the COVID, uh, the, uh, the COAG meeting in mid-March, then it became real that this was a serious health emergency for Australia and Western Australia. And that's when we started doing all of the really difficult things around locking down certain businesses and closing certain businesses. And that was really quite surreal and dist distressing. I was very distressed when we had to do that. So that was mid to late March. The, um, the plan with Christmas Island when Scott Morrison reopened Christmas Island and there were the stranded Australians who came via regional WA. Did you think when we were a part of that plan, we did that plan that that would go some way to, to stopping it? Well, I remember that, um, and what we tried to do was help, and that was Learmonth, our airbase. People were transiting via Learmonth, and we just tried to be helpful. Um, 
at that point in time, I can't remember exactly when that was, whether it was late February or early March. Obviously, we started to know it was going to be a pretty big deal, but it really became apparent it was going to be a big health um, situation for us in mid-March at the COAG meeting. And at the peak of the new cases appearing here in WA, when it was at its worst, what was the, the decision? What was the, the things that were, were keeping you up at night? Well, there was a lot. Um, I remember the National Cabinet meeting where we decided to close a range of businesses and that really took place over the course of about four or five days. The sort of the list of things we're going to close and the final decision. Uh, and I, I realised that was very distressing. Thousands of people are going to be impacted, all these people who have mortgages and um, who employed people and people who had their jobs. I knew it was going to be terrible. And so that was, um, that was pretty uh, dramatic. The other thing that happened around then was the cruise ships. So we had, first advice we had was this cruise ship was coming with 250 people with COVID on board. And that was very, very uh, worrying. Turned out that was a false alarm, but then we had other cruise ships with major problems. So the cruise ships was very dramatic. And I think they were the ones that gave me the most sleepless nights. And especially after what had happened with the Ruby Princess. So it was around that time. We'd seen what was happening in other states, seen what was happening around the world off Japan and in the Caribbean and the like. And so I didn't want our hospitals to be overwhelmed with people from cruise ships. We basically took the sort of pretty hard line with one of the cruise ships to go back to their home ports. Um, as it turned out, one was sort of here, uh, the Artania, and we dealt with the Artania on a daily basis for probably six weeks. Uh, but as it turned out, that was managed very well by our health system and uh, eventually she sailed away. Uh, but that, the cruise ships and it was about at one point in time, we thought there was going to be seven potentially here. That was a very, very worrying and dramatic period. And the, the management of the Ruby Princess saga from over East, were you worried that that was going to really have some, some truly devastating effects here in WA? Well, that meant that some of the passengers who were West Australians came back here. Obviously, they brought the virus with them. And that was uh, concerning for them and their families and obviously a broader health concern. Uh, and the other thing was we just were very worried about making sure that any of the cruise ships that came in here, the people did not get off. That if they got off, they went straight to the airport and home or they went into quarantine if they were unwell. And uh, we put in place a system that made sure that happened. But that had me very worried. I didn't want anyone slipping through the, you know, through the cracks. I didn't want anything happening whereby uh, the system wasn't work, didn't work properly. So that, 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 was, that went on for, as I said, for weeks or months. It's hard to place now. Uh, but you know that was that was pretty that was pretty worrying. So safe to say you won't be getting on a cruise ship anytime soon. <laughs> well, I don't know if anyone will. Um, maybe uh, with our borders and the like. Uh, once, one, it, you know, I, I, can, I don't know. I don't know when the cruise industry is going to get back on its feet. It might be some years away. Take us through our national cabinet. Um, would have been some pretty interesting times and interesting conversations. Uh, it, they have been. There's been around at least twenty national cabinet meetings now, and. Um, Sometimes it was three times a week. We're down now to once a fortnight. Uh, the great thing about it is uh, the people are generally very reasonable. Uh, the premiers and the prime minister are very reasonable. We're all about the same age. Um, we all get on reasonably well. Um, there's differences at times, and sometimes states have done things at different rates, and some states have done things a bit differently. But if you compare Australia to the United States, where they just have not worked well together and the whole country's been in turmoil, uh, our national cabinet arrangement, the states working together, the, um, the cooperation has been outstanding. 
and you wouldn't find another federation in the world, I think, that's worked that well together. Uh, the Prime Minister's been an excellent chair. Uh, he's been patient with uh, people and he's very collegiate, so I can't fault him on that. Uh, and in terms of premiers doing their own thing, it's sort of been, it hasn't been dramatic. No one's walked out, no one's said, I'm not participating, no one's done something 180 degrees to everyone else. It's been sort of, the points of difference have been um, modest. And uh, whilst we've done things our own way, it hasn't been like a total breakdown of relations. Was there any, uh, were there any of the leaders there that you particularly sought advice from or anyone that you, you know, you, you have a close relationship with that you, that you would discuss issues with privately? Well, I wouldn't want to get into that too much, uh, except to say that I think, you know, the more remote states and territories sort of talk more and uh, there's sort of you know, similarities and not, not based upon um, political parties, but just similarities, because the further you get away from the centres of power in the east, the more similar you are. So, um, and the, the great thing about it is that the, the political differences or the party alliances, I think, have largely broken down. So uh, we, uh, we work together well, irrespective of political boundaries, or if we have a dispute, the political boundaries don't come into it. So um, I, uh, I found all the people quite likeable. As I said, we're all roughly the same age. Um, not the same backgrounds, but um, we've gotten on pretty well. If you think back to premiers of past years or past decades and uh, prime ministers, I can't imagine that it would have worked as well as it does now. Um, so uh, I think it's been a good process. How did you uh, tackle advice from the chief, uh, the chief health officers from both our state and the Commonwealth? Did it come a point where you'd have to take one's word over the other or one's advice over the other and was that tough? Yeah, well there's the, what's called the AHPPC which is all of the health advisors of all the states and commonwealths have a committee and they give advice to the National Cabinet and broadly that's accepted but individual states have their own chief health officers and generally with the states we accept their advice first and foremost. So um, Victoria's chief health officer, the Victorian premier, follows what he has to say, same with South Australia, same with us. So our chief health officer has at times given us different advice to the other states. For instance, we've opened up our economy far more than the other states based upon our hard border. Uh, and that means that uh, we have different rules. So we have far more people back at work, far more restaurants, cafes, bars, cinemas, theatres, you name it, open than the eastern states and far more people allowed. And that's because we have very low rates of infection and we have a hard border. So we've accepted the advice of the Chief Health Officer of Western Australia in regards to that. Other states have moved at their own pace. Their Chief Health Officers have given them different advice. You've got to remember, you know, Victoria has huge spikes in infection, so of course they're going to have different advice to Western Australia. I mean, in many ways, Western Australia is a different country. We're separated by a massive desert. Uh, we are um, isolated from the other states to a huge degree. And that allows us to do things differently to the eastern states, especially because we have low rates of infection. So our chief health officer's advice has reflected that. How much do you think our isolation and the hard border closure has helped our, our rates stay so low? It's helped enormously. Because we don't have that connectivity that Melbourne, Sydney, Canberra has, uh, because we have that separation and the hard eastern border and the hard international border, we have been able to crush the infection rate and therefore open up our economy more. And I think whilst the Prime Minister disagrees, I think he understands the argument. Uh, and uh, certainly I think the Prime Minister would like to see the Eastern States economies up more 
uh, strongly in the same way as Western Australia's economy is, even though we'd like the border down. But for me, it's a bit of a um, it's a bit of a trade-off. If we brought the border down, well, then we wouldn't be able to have the economy open as much. So by having the border arrangement in place, we're able to open up the economy far more. So I actually think our arrangements have allowed for far greater economic uh, and jobs activity within Western Australia than uh, had we had uh, no border at all. How worried were you that it would have got gotten in, into the regions, you know, at the, in the Indigenous communities that are particularly vulnerable um, and the mining communities out there as well, which is so important to, to the economy? How much of a threat was that? It was a big threat and we tackled that at the very beginning. So we got the mining industry to bring the FIFO workforce from the east, largely, to basically be based here and live here. So that's thousands of people who would ordinarily FIFO out of Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane move to WA, often with their families. And then they quarantine here and then they travel uh, from their mine sites to Perth or to Headland or wherever they're staying. Uh, so that's worked really well. And that's meant that thousands of additional people are living in the state, good for the economy. We're actually trying to get them to stay. Uh, so uh, that's been a, um, a good arrangement that allowed the mining industry to keep operating. So we as a state pursued allowing mining, oil and gas to continue to operate. Uh, again, some, some people didn't want that, but we said, no, that, you know, we've got to fund our hospitals, we've got to have our tax revenues. If we lose that industry, we'll be in serious trouble as a nation. So the West Australian government was very firm and put arrangements in place to keep them operating. When it comes to remote Indigenous communities, we worked with the Commonwealth. We made sure that people couldn't travel into those communities. We discouraged people from travelling out. Uh, Aboriginal people are more vulnerable. Their immune systems are more vulnerable uh, than non-Aboriginal people. And so those arrangements we put in place, like the Northern Territory to protect people, are actually still in place. And so um, they'll be one of the last things that we lift. Professor and the Hack, accessible politics with just a touch of depth. I'm Hugh Rimmington. And I'm Peter Van Onselen. You can find us, The Professor and the Hack, wherever you find quality podcasts. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, at the peak of the crisis, um, I saw a, a schedule of your, your regular day. It's very early starts and, and late finishes. Can you, can you take us through what some of the, the longest and, and toughest days were like? Well, early on, it was probably the first six weeks. So that was very difficult. So you, uh, you know, you get up and uh, you, you're on the road early and we have an emergency meeting. I can't fault the police commissioner, the chief health officer, my staff, the Department of Health, Department of Premier and Cabinet, uh, Sharon O'Neill. They've all been fantastic. And we meet every morning at eight o'clock uh, every day, seven days a week. So whether it's over the phone or in person, we meet, discuss the day's issues. Uh, and then you have various briefings, you have to make certain decisions, you sign certain letters, you give directions to people. Uh, that process went on, has gone on for the entire period. And um, you listen to the evidence, you listen to the advice, you make a decision. And um, I think the decisions we've made have been very cautious 
Um, but I think compared to other countries and other places around the world, they've worked. And we didn't go as far as, say, New Zealand, which basically shut its economy down. On the other hand, we didn't do what, say, the United States or Britain have done, which has meant that they have mass infection, huge economic disruption. So uh, we went for a very cautious approach, which, which stopped a lot of the gatherings, put our borders in place. At the same time, uh, we didn't go as far in terms of economic destruction, if you like, as some other countries around the world. So I think we got the balance pretty right. Having said that, we're not out of the woods yet. The infection can come back. It only needs one person. And it's a very risky environment in many ways. Um, and so that's why we're very vigilant, but we can't guarantee that that won't happen. So if it does, we'll obviously have to make further decisions. But now we're more refined in our decision making. So rather than shutting everything down, you might only deal with a certain suburb like Melbourne is or a certain school or whatever it might be if there was something that came about in the future. And we have to expect that there will be bad things happen in the future, but the good thing is now we're well prepared. Some of the, the flack that you received at some point so around the keeping the borders closed and, and keeping the restrictions where they were at, um, do you feel kind of justified now after what's, what's happened over recent, particularly in, in Victoria at the moment? Well, yeah, we were, we've been cautious. And so the border arrangement, um, the lifting restrictions within the state, I think they worked reasonably well. And uh, considering Victoria now has community spread of the virus, obviously we don't want that to happen here. So uh, I don't know if the word's vindicated. I, I suppose I feel um, you know, happy that we didn't go do anything risky and uh, it's had a good outcome. And uh, some people have suffered. You know, lots of people, they tell me their parents are in the East or. Uh, they're, they're, they're separated from friends or they'd like to go to Melbourne on holidays or whatever it might be. Uh, but they're generally understanding and people are generally very understanding of what's happened. Uh, and no one I've met has been aggressive about it or negative or whatever. They just say, we understand. Obviously at some point in the future the border has to come down, but we understand you've done what's necessary to try and keep the state safe. What about the AFL? Have you um, still got a good relationship with the Eagles and Dockers and, and Gil and McLaughlin after all of this? I think so. I mean, you know, I've cracked a few jokes at their expense, um, but I think so. What we've allowed for is a hub in Perth that will, I think, be very successful. And it's meant that there will be enormous safety measures so that the interstate players have to hub and uh, quarantine and they'll be, in, they'll be tested and the like, uh, and they won't mix with West Australians. Our teams will have to quarantine at home. I'm pretty sure they'll be watched very closely by the media and everyone else, so they'll have to do the right thing. Uh, and uh, then they, we can have some games here, and on July 18, 19, uh, they'll be able to have a full stadium, assuming low infection between now and then. So um, that's been a good arrangement. I think the AFL should be very happy. Obviously, I've cracked some jokes at the expense of some of the interstate teams and at some of the personalities in the AFL, but I think they should just um, take it on the chin. Have you had any very serious conversations with, with Gillen over the phone of him saying this is what we need to do, that this needs to happen for, for the competition to go forward? No, but my staff have and the police commissioner have. Uh, so, you know, I express my views with my staff and police commissioner, they talk to them. Uh, and uh, I, think I think the AFL understand. I mean, the great thing for the AFL is they can have crowds here. So I think they're looking at Western Australia as a shining light, a beacon. Uh, and uh, the fact they have to quarantine and do all the safety measures is a fact of life. But if they want to have a crowd, Western Australia is the place to go. And if Melbourne stays the way it is, clearly uh, the grand final should come here. So 
we've uh, said that to them. Hold the grand final in Perth. It'll be an historic event, uh, and uh, it's a football state, great stadium, safe environment. But you know, just abide by our quarantine and safety rules, and everyone's a winner. Who have you uh, lent on f for advice during during this? Um, who have been some of the, the most important people to you when you've, you've really needed it? Well, the Health Minister, Roger Cook, has been fantastic. Great, uh, great advisor, uh, has been really um, uh, hardworking, and I think he deserves a lot of acknowledgement and a lot of uh, credit. The Police Commissioner, the Chief Health Officer, uh, both done a great job. The Director General of Health, both all done uh, wonderful work. Uh, Sharon O'Neill, who's what's known as our COVID coordinator, she's the head of the Public Safety Commission. Uh, she's been fantastic. Uh, so lots of senior public servants, Rebecca Brown, lots of senior public servants have been excellent. Uh, sometimes, you know, you talk to people in the business community and frankly, I, uh, you know, I talk to some of the other premiers about what they're doing and even the prime minister and they've all been great. So I can't, I can't fault. Australians during this period have pulled together and West Australians especially, but pulled together and um, it's been a great demonstration of national spirit and national cooperation. And there's always a lot of uh, state spirit and, and state pride. WA loves a West versus the West kind of battle. Um, do you think that sort of led to your popularity rising as well with the, 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 the firm border closures? Maybe. I don't know. Um, I think it's mainly about the fact that I had a laugh about a kebab. Um, but, um, but I think uh, a lot of West Australians uh, like the fact that we've used our isolation to our advantage. And I think that is um, that is really um, that has really resonated with people. Our isolation is often a disadvantage, but on this occasion, it's an advantage. And so I think people like the fact that that's uh, that's that's been something we've used as a weapon in in our defence. Um, but um, no, I've appreciated the support of West Australians. They've been great. What about at the swinging pig on the weekend? There was a special event. In your honour, uh, Mark's eat free. There were people dressed up as the Premier. How did that make you feel? Well, I don't know if I dress like that. They're wearing board shorts, ties and long shirts. I don't think I've ever worn that in my life. Uh, but anyway, they were great young guys. Um, no, it was an honour. People have been really kind and polite. I mean, I, you know, I got here 30 years ago. I never imagined something like this had happened to me in my lifetime. But um, West Australians have been great and I've appreciated the support. You've spoken in the past about Bob Hawke and your relationship with, with him. Uh, he was obviously a very popular politician. Um, they haven't been that popular since him. Are you starting to, to get back to that level, you think? I couldn't compare to him. Uh, he was uh, extraordinary. Uh, he's one of those people, those Australians that I reckon if he was born in America, he could have been, become the president. You know, he was that good. Um, so I, um, I'm not going to compare myself there. I just appreciate the support. And he would have been pretty proud of your efforts at the Swinging Pig? Well, I didn't scull a beer. So he would have uh, probably said, you should have sculled a beer, son, I can just imagine. Son, you should have sculled a beer. Uh, but uh, he, was, he was very kind to me. I probably met him maybe a few dozen times in my life. And uh, he was very encouraging and very supportive. And he had a very strong affinity with Western Australia. So whenever I met him, he'd always ask me about Leaderville and the street he grew up in. and about um, how things were going here and he told me once he met John Curtin on the street in on um, uh, on uh, Beaufort Street and you know these are amazing things that people don't know and so he uh, he had a very strong relationship with Western Australia and I think he uh, he appreciated the fact that I was a West Australian and uh, that um, 
we had that connection. Well, Premier Mike McGowan, thanks very much for your time. Uh, good luck for the second half of the year. Thanks, Bo. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. We'll see you next time.